Good morning, Timberline. We're going to be in Psalm 27 today. So go ahead and have your Bibles turned there. Psalm 27 is a psalm that David reveals his faith in the midst of adversity. Now, we don't know if there was a specific trial that has caused him to write this psalm or if he's reflecting on many trials and many pains and many adversities that he's gone on through his life. For when we're in the psalm, we're going to read, we're going to read words like this that there are evildoers, there are adversaries, there are foes, there are armies, there are false witnesses all coming against David. So it appears that he's writing about his past experiences and the confidence and the hope that he has in God. And one thing, if you know the story of David, if you know about his life, you know that trials and adversities was no stranger to him. When he was a small shepherd boy, he would defend his sheep against, uh, against bears and lions. You know the story where he, he fought the great Philistine giant Goliath. We know that when he became, he was anointed to be the next king. But the current king Saul became so jealous of him that he hunted him like a dog, ran him out of the kingdom. And David for years ran through the wilderness where he hid in caves and was constantly on the lookout for those who would betray him. And at the end of David's life as a king, uh, he was betrayed by his son Absalom. Absalom turned the kingdom against him and ran David once again outside of the kingdom into the wilderness. And that's not to speak about also the personal sins that just David wrestled with. We know he wrestled with lust. Lust so much that he, he killed a man and took his wife to be his own. And so David is no stranger to adversity. And so he writes this psalm. So that we would know that we can have great confidence in any time of pain, whether it's physical or spiritual. And so before we dig into the psalm, I just want to pause. I just want us to think right now, um, where are you at right now? Have you been attacked? Maybe now or, or in the past? Have you ever been betrayed? Stabbed in the back? Have you, felt that, have you ever felt that darkness of adversity just descend upon you and you feel like there is no hope anywhere? Maybe you're in a difficult relationship. Maybe you're battling um, sin, like anger or bitterness or lust or depression. Maybe a loved one has died and you're just saying, I have no idea how I'm going to move forward at this moment. Wherever you're at, whether now or, or sometime in the future, what David wants you to know, wants me to know, wants us to know, is that we are not hopeless and we are not helpless. In this psalm, David wants us to see that we can be confident in times of adversity because our God is always faithful and abundantly sufficient to meet all of our needs. And by sufficient, I mean that he is more than capable to help us in any time of trouble. And so before we dig in, let me real quick just give the outline of the psalm. The psalm can be broken up into two sections. Verses 1 through 6 speak about David's confidence in God. And then verses 7 through 14 is David's prayer to God. And so we're going to look at it in those sections. David's confidence and then David's prayer. Uh, so let me go ahead and we're going to read the psalm. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you, stand with me now as we read Psalm 27. Here we go. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? 
When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter. In the day of trouble, he will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices and shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord. And lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries. For false witnesses have risen against me. And they breathe out of violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord. And the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now. And Father, we, we praise you for the word that you have given us. And in this psalm that David has written, inspired by your spirit, Lord, we read that you are great, that you are glorious, and that you are good. You are our rock. You are our stronghold. You are our salvation. You are the light that gives us hope. And so I pray that as we come into your word right now, that we would see the confidence that we can have because of who you are, because of what you have done for us in your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that as we look at who you are and the hope and the confidence and the faith that we have in you, that we would better understand how do we live out faithfully? How do we respond in times of adversity? Lord, may we see that you are the rock of our salvation. And because of that, there is nothing that can shake us. Father, we praise you. Give us wisdom and give us understanding now. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, all right, we're going to dig in. And what we're going to first do is look at the three reasons David says that he has confidence in God. And so the first thing we're going to see is that if you look at verse 1, David uses Three words to describe God. He says God is his light, his salvation, and his stronghold. What David is doing is he's speaking about the greatness of our God. The greatness of the God of the Bible. He's saying God is great. He knows that there is no enemy, no force, no power that is greater than God. It is God's infinite power and immeasurable strength that brings comfort to David. In fact, notice in these first three verses how many times David says he doesn't need to fear. Notice how he expresses his confidence. In verse 1, he says, Whom shall I fear? Who shall I be afraid of? Verse 3, My heart shall not fear. At the end of verse 3, he says, I will be confident. 
Now why? Why is it David is so confident when he has these adversaries, these foes, these armies, these false witnesses, all of these people, all of these things that are coming against him, yet he's confident. Why? Because of the greatness of his God. I mean, David calls God his light. So let, let's just unpack that one right now. Where there is light, there is no darkness. Now, if you remember when you were a small child, at night, when you would go to your, go to your room and go to your bed and the lights were off, oftentimes what we did is we would run to our bed and about six feet away from the bed, we would make this flying leap to the bed. And we did that because we didn't want our feet to get close to the bottom of the bed where the monsters and the things were underneath that were going to grab us. And if we woke up in the middle of the night, what did we do? We'd stand on our bed and we'd kind of jump off the bed so we'd land three or four feet away so nothing under the bed would be able to grab us. And we would never open the closet doors because we couldn't see what was in there. But do you ever realize that, that during the day, we never did that? During the day, we didn't run and jump onto the bed or jump off the bed because of the fear of the monsters underneath. We didn't have a problem opening up the closet door. Why? Because there was light. And when there is light, you see things rightly. When the light is on you, you see things as they really are. And so what David wants us to know is that when God is our light... We see, all, we see all things rightly, and thus we have no need to fear. In fact, we see evidence in, the, in David's life in many ways, but one that stands out is when David went against the Goliath, went against the Philistine giant Goliath. Many of you might remember that story in 1 Samuel 17. All of Israel, all the men, all the, the soldiers are scared and they're fearful because the Philistines have this guy who is just a beast of a man who's 8, 9, 10 feet tall. He's gigantic and no one wants to go and fight him. No one wants to go against him because he is too big. He is too great. He is too strong. But then David shows up. And David says, I'll take him on. Now why? Why is it that David... When he sees Goliath, he doesn't respond in fear like all the other soldiers of Israel. It's because David sees things as they are. He sees things through the light, through the lens of God's greatness. In fact, let me read in 1 Samuel 17. This is an amazing passage. I love this passage. This is what David says to Goliath right before they battle and he kills him. Verse First uh, Samuel 17, verse 45. David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. You hear that? David sees Goliath, and now compared to David, Goliath is a giant of a man. But compared to God, 
David sees that, that Goliath is like an ant compared to Mount Rainier, and that's not even close to the right comparison. Goliath is infinitesimally small compared to the greatness and the might and the power of our God, and therefore David has no fear of him because he knows God is on his side. Now, how did David know this? How did David know the greatness of our God? Well, I just want to give you two ways. One, he knows it through experience. He knows that God has protected him when he, when he defended the sheep against uh, bears and lions. He's seen how God has protected him and has been faithful to him throughout his life. He's probably heard the stories of other men on how they have experienced God's faithfulness, on how they've experienced God's might and power and strength. And so experience is one way that we can know God's greatness. In fact, the fact that you're here today, the fact that you're alive, the fact that your organs are working, the fact that you haven't been killed by a drunk driver or experienced some other tragedy in which has killed you, all points to the greatness of our God, that he has sustained you, he has preserved you at this moment so you would continue to hear his word, know who he is, worship him, and serve him here on earth. So experience is one way, but experience isn't the ultimate way because we know at times, because of our sin, we can twist experiences and we can understand them wrongly. And so the greatest reason David and we can know the greatness of our God is through scripture. I mean, from beginning to end of God's word, 66 books are filled with the greatness of our God on how he speaks creation into existence, how he sustains creation on all these mights and wonders that we read of what God does in his word. In fact, I want to give you one example. If you go to the book of Nahum, now Nahum is this small Old Testament minor prophet that I think probably many of us haven't read recently. But if you go read chapter 1, we read about God's might and his power and his judgment and his goodness to those who trust in him. And so let me just read this. This is Nahum chapter 1, just verses 5 through 8. Just think about what it says about who our God is, about his greatness and his might. It says, the mountains quake before him, the hills melt, the earth heaves before him, the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness. I mean, here's a text that just speaks about the greatness, about the might and the power of our God. But more than Nahum, and more than the fact that God created the world, that he sustains the world, and the fact that one day he promises that he will make a new world without sin, in which we will all dwell with him. The primary way in which we see the greatness of our God is that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross, that he would stand in our place, and that he would absorb the infinite power and the infinite wrath of God. And he would stand in our place, absorbing that wrath, going to the cross and dying, three days later, rising, so that we who believe in him would be forgiven, would be able to be brought into a right relationship with God, where for all of eternity, we can experience God's goodness and his grace 
and his glory and his greatness and all the blessings of who God is. The cross stands in the middle of history as a means which shouts the very greatness of our God. Hear this. It's in God's word that we see that God is our light, our stronghold, our salvation. God's word testifies to the greatness of our God. So I encourage you, be in the word. Be in the word every day. It's in his word we read about God's grace, about his goodness, and why we can have confidence in times of trials. If you're not in the word, you will not know God as your light as your rock, as your salvation, as your stronghold. And if you don't know that, then as you face enemies and adversaries and foes and false witnesses and sins like anger and rage and bitterness and lust and depression, then you will not have the, the knowledge and the confidence in which God gives us that we can overcome these things, in which we can stand firm, and why we can have hope in the midst of these. I encourage you, be in the word. So that's number one. That's the first thing. David wants us to know God is great. That's why we can be confident in trials. Number two, because God is glorious. Look at verse four. In verse four, this is what David says. One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. So here we have David. He's revealing his greatest and truest desire of his heart. He says, I want to be in the presence of my God. More than anything, that's where I want to be. In fact, the word gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Gaze means to, to enjoy. And the word inquire, when he says, I want to inquire in his temple, means I want to think, I want to contemplate. David, David says, what I want more than anything else is to just to bask in the presence of God's glory. Just as, just as one lays out in the sun and they absorb the rays of the sun, so David says, I just want to sit in the presence of God. I want to enjoy him. I just want to think about him. Now, I realize some of you might think that's strange. And some of you might say, well, I don't really do that. I'm not a reader. I'm not just a thinker. I don't, I don't want just to sit and just to somehow think about the things of God. That, that doesn't sound like me. But I, I want to remind you, David is a king. He's a warrior. He's a man who's comfortable on the battlefield. He's comfortable with his men. He's comfortable writing songs of praise to God. But above everything, he says, I want just to sit in the presence of God. David is revealing what it means to be a man after God's own heart. He says there is nothing greater, nothing more enjoyable, nothing more beautiful than just basking in the presence of God. Now think about this. Why is this? What do we learn about God here? You see, God is not just powerful. And we don't just serve him because we're fearful of his wrath or of his judgment. We serve him because we love him. We serve him because we desire him. We serve him because he's glorious. We serve him because he satisfies the desires of our heart. You see, Hitler, Hitler was powerful, but he was horrible. He was evil in every way. But what we see is our God. He is good, or he is powerful, he is mighty. There's none that can overcome him, and he's beautiful. He's just, he's good, he's lovely. There's no blemish, there's no stain, there's no sin within him. 
He is perfect in every way, and he alone is able to satisfy the desires of our heart. So David just says, you are where I find rest for my soul. When I encounter all these enemies, when everything is against me, all I want to do is just come and be with you. Let me ask you, do you desire God? Do you desire him more than anything else? Do you find him glorious? Do you find him do you find that he is the, his presence is the rest for your soul? Now, there are, there are many ways uh, that we can experience God's presence. Like when we're in his word, we can experience God's presence. When we're praying, we experience God's presence. But in the Old Testament, what we see is that God primarily made his presence known within the temple, within the physical building of, of the sanctuary. But in the New Testament, we realize that the temple now is God's people. And God is saving a people that he would form and build into his temple, that he would dwell amongst his people. And so where God says, where I primarily make my presence known, is, is among my people, those who worship me, those who follow me. And so I want to encourage you, this is one of the reasons we gather as believers because there is a grace that we experience when we come together that we do not have when we're apart from one another. There is a goodness that we experience as we encourage one another, as we love one another, as we help one another, as we serve one another, as we come together united in our hope and our faith in God. There's a grace that is there that God gives us that we're able to enjoy when we're in, when we're among his people. So I want to encourage you. I know we're in strange times right now. I know that, that because of COVID and social distancing, there, many of you are going, I'm just not sure it's, it's right yet. And, and I get it. You want to be careful and cautious regarding health. But it also seems to be the case for some. Is that the reason they're staying home is simply out of fear. And there is a fear that they're just, they want to stay away from everything. And if that is where you're at, then I want to encourage you, come into God's word where you see his greatness, where you see his glory, and come and trust in him. And realize there is a grace that we come together, where we encourage one another, where we help one another, where God makes himself known amongst his church. So I want to encourage you to come and gather with us. So the first two things, God, David says, the reason I'm confident in my God is because he's great, because he's glorious, he's lovely, he's beautiful, he's wonderful. And I just want to be in his presence. And number three, because God is good. Look at verses five and six. There we read what God does when David comes to him. And we read in verse five, he hides me, he conceals me, he lifts me. What we have is God cares for David. Don't miss this. God, in all of his infinite might, his strength, and his power, and, and his beauty, and glory, and the fact that he sustains all creation, the fact that he rules over the weather, the fact that he maintains the rotation of all the planets, and the laws of thermodynamics, at the same time he's doing all of that, he knows David. He knows you. He knows me. I mean, have you ever wondered, does God know me? Does he hear me when I pray? Does he, does he actually care for me? You see, you see, sin wants to pervert and twist even the way we read scripture. Like we can come to God's word and we've already seen that God is great. 
and how he's created the world, he sustains all things, the fact that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. We see all this, and we might say, God is so big, so powerful, so wonderful, so glorious. I mean, he is so incredibly great, and I am so small. Surely he doesn't know me. Surely he doesn't care for me. Surely my problems are not big enough to come to God. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like your prayers just kind of go out into this empty space and no one hears them? And yet what we have here in Scripture is that we see that God is never too busy to hear us, that God loves us and he loves all of his children who trust in him. In fact, this is why Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, when he teaches his disciples to pray and teaches us how to pray, remember his first words. He says, when you pray, pray like this, our Father. Who art in heaven. You see, our God has saved us that we'd be in relationship with Him. Our God has saved us because He loves us and He knows us and He wants to provide for us. He gives us promises that when we come to Him, we will experience His grace and His blessings and all of life. And again, the clearest example of this is the fact that God knows us so well, He knows what our deepest and darkest pain is. The fact that we are sinners against Him. And the fact that apart from his grace, we have no hope. And so he sends his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross that we could be saved and we could have relationship with him, where we could be adopted into his family, where we would be called his children, his sons and daughters. And like a father, he would care for us. Well, I hope you know that God is good. Do you know that he is good? Do you know that he promises to give you grace in every situation that you're in? Do you know that he hears your prayers? He delights when you pray to him, just as a father loves when his child jumps on his lap and tells him all the things he wants and all that he wants us to do. So our father delights when we come to him. The reason David is confident in trials, the reason he's confident against these adversaries, the reason when when he's the reason he's confident against sin and all of these things that are opposing him is not because of his strength, is not because of his abilities, is not because of his resources, is not because of those who are around him, but it's because of who his God is. He knows his God is great, glorious, and good, and he's abundantly sufficient to meet every need that we have. I hope you know that today. I hope you know that. And so David now wants to say, so what does that look like lived out? What does it mean that I'm confident? How does that get displayed in my life? I mean, to say that I'm confident must result in actions. If I said, I'm confident I can swim. I'm confident I can rock climb. I'm confident I can mountain bike. And yet, I never do those things. Someone might say, well, where do I see this confidence? What is the evidence of this confidence, of this faith that you have. And so David now, he's going to give us two ways that we display our faith in God, our confidence in God. And let me say this. These two things he's going to give us are not only the means in which we display our confidence, but they're also the means in which we grow in our faith and our confidence in God. And so as we go through these, if you say, well, well I can't do that, well, realize that also in the very practicing of these is the very means in which we grow in our knowledge, our understanding, 
and our faith in God. And so the first thing that David says is we pray to God. Look at verse 7. We read, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. He's saying, look, God, hear me when I pray. The first thing he wants us to know is that I'm praying to God. Now notice the content of his prayer. First he says, he prays the Bible. Verse 8, he says, you have said, seek my face. And then he says, my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. David is praying scripture. In Deuteronomy 4.29, God says, all who come to me, all who seek me, all who seek my face will find me. They will experience my grace and my blessings. And so David is saying, look, your word says this. And so this is what I'm doing, God. I, I'm doing what you have said. And so I just want to ask you in the very beginning, do you know God's word? God's word, 66 books he has given us so that we would know how to pray. His word is to inform the very content of our prayers. Secondly, he's asking God then to be faithful to his word. He's saying, God, this is what you have said. This is what I'm doing. Now be faithful to your word. Be, be good, which he's already acknowledged. God, you are good. So he's saying, God, do what you have said. And we see that in verse 9 because he makes these four negative statements. He says, hide me not, turn me not, cast me not, forsake me not. So you see, by praying to God, David is acknowledging his own weaknesses, his own limitations, and that God alone is sufficient to help him. That's what we do when we pray. When you pray, you are acknowledging, look, God, you are great. You are glorious. You are good. You are gracious and faithful and sufficient, and I am not. You see, when we pray to God, it is the, the evidence of our faith in God. And again, God has given us his word that we would know his goodness, that we would know his greatness, that we would know his glory, not so we would sit back and just expect him. Oh, because I know this God, he's surely just going to do all of these things for me. No, we, he gives us all of this information. He gives us his word so that we would run to him. We would run to him and we would pray to him, that we would depend upon him that we would trust him. God has saved us to be in relationship. And one of the ways we demonstrate that relationship, we live out that relationship, is by praying to him. Remember what we already said. Jesus has told us to come to him. Come to a God as our father. Father, our father who is in heaven. And just as we come to our earthly fathers for provision and protection, and so we're cut to come to our Heavenly Father that He would provide and protect us and do all that we need for us. In fact, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, we read where Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and He will open to you. He tells us we are to come to God. Now you might say, Well, I don't know that I need this other father figure. Maybe you say, I don't know my own dad. Maybe you say, my dad has left me. 
Maybe say, I've never had a good experience with a father. And so when you say God is father and he wants me to come to him, I don't really want to do that. So I encourage you to look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. In verse 10 we read, For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Now, I don't know if David's parents have actually forsaken him. We don't ever read that in Scripture. Something has happened. But the point is, God does not learn how to be a father by looking at us. He's not taking his tips from your dad or from my dad or from me as a father. No, our God is Father. He is perfect in every way. And what David wants us to know is that while our, our earthly fathers may have failed us, may have forsaken us, may have not done the best job, may have at times made wrong decisions. Even if they had good desires, they might have made wrong decisions. Yet he wants us to know that our God is good and faithful and glorious and gracious and he's great and he never will forsake you. He is perfect in every way, so every decision he makes, every action he makes for you and towards you is for your good. So no matter how much your earthly father has hurt you and disappointed you, our heavenly father will never forsake you. So he's saying, come, come to him. And, and let me say this, and you got to know this, our prayer life demonstrates our faith and confidence in God. You know, our prayer life demonstrates our faith and confidence in God. And since our faith is to always be growing in God, our prayer life ought to always be growing in God. So let me ask you, are you coming to God in prayer? Are you trusting in Him? Are you trying to work things out in your own abilities, in your own limitations, in your own weaknesses? The book of Psalms, is 150 psalms of people coming to God in prayer, crying out to Him, praising Him, depending, him, depending upon Him, trusting in Him. This book not only instructs us, not only instructs us, but encourages us to run to God and give Him all of our desires, to ask Him for help in every situation. God tells us, if you will ask, He will give. But here's the problem. So many Christians, and maybe this is you, and you need to wrestle with this. So many Christians neglect to pray to God. They neglect to come to God in prayer, and then they wonder why they're not experiencing God's goodness and His grace and His mercy in their life. Why, why is God, it appears that He's not helping? And they're neglecting the very means in which God has said, Come to me in prayer and I will answer. Seek and you will find. Ask and it will be given to you. Knock and it will be open to you. He's encouraging us to come. But here's the thing. We must come to him in prayer. And that's why prayer is this demonstration of our faith and our confidence in God. So I want to encourage you. Let us be people who pray to God. Let us set time every day aside. Let us carve out time and guard it with everything that we have, that we will pray to our God, trusting in Him in every situation that we're in. And, and fathers, let me, let me tell you this. I heard a pastor say this one time, and, and I think it's pretty good, and, and I think it's right. He said, fathers, say yes to your kids as much as you can. Let them understand that as a father, you want to give them the things that they want. Now, that doesn't mean we give them everything. 
But we want to give them things. We want to say yes to them. And he says, do that as a means of helping them understand what it's like to come to our perfect Father who loves to provide for us, who loves to give us grace. So fathers, I just want to encourage you. I know many of us, we, we can think, well, no, they shouldn't have this, they shouldn't have this, they shouldn't have this. And there's probably a lot of things our kids shouldn't have that they want. But how are we saying yes to them? How are we training them and teaching them that this is what fathers do? And, and as much as, as we fail, there is a much greater father who knows perfectly how to provide for us. So the first thing David says, if we're going to live out our confidence, we're going to pray to God. So I want to encourage you, let's pray. Every day, let's come to God in prayer. Let's know his word, and let's pray to him. Let's ask him to help us in whatever situation we're in. Number two, we wait on God. Look at verse 14, last verse of the psalm. He says, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So twice he says, wait for the Lord. And he says, wait for the Lord. And so David is driving on this point. We need to wait for God. But what does that mean? Where oftentimes you see a parallelism, like wait for God, wait for God. The in-between explains what it means to wait. And so to wait on God means to be strong and courageous. And then you might say, well, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be strong and courageous? Well, I had studied this a while ago. If you go back to the end of Deuteronomy, when Moses uh, is about to, he's helping his people, Israel, know what to do when they go in the promised land. Moses tells them, be strong and be courageous. And Joshua, as the book of Joshua begins, I think it's in, in verses 1, in chapter 1, verse 6, verse 7, verse 9, I think verse 16, also at the end of the book, Joshua, as he's about to lead Israel into the promised land, he is told, be strong and courageous. So what does that mean? Well, let me just read two verses from Joshua chapter 1 that I think helps us understand what this means. Joshua 1, verse 7 says this, Only be strong and and be very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Hear this. Being strong and courageous is obeying God's word. To be strong and to be courageous as a man of God, as a woman of God, as a child of God, is to know his word and to obey it. I want to encourage you, do you know God's word? Are you in his word? Are you trusting in his word? Are you obeying his word? Number two, look at, look at Joshua 1.9. He says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So he's saying, read the word, obey the word, and trust in it. Trust that God is your light, is your stronghold, is your salvation, is your rock, is your help in times of trouble. So he's saying to be strong and courageous is also to then trust in that word. It's to trust in it. It's to believe in the very word that God has given us. And as we do that, we see things rightly in this world. We see the sins that we go against. Fear, depression, anger, rage, lust, wrath, all of those things that feel so great. 
And if we don't look at them through the lens of God's greatness and His might, we'll be overcome by them. But as soon as we turn to God and we see them what they are, we realize the power and the strength that we have in God. Or when there are people who come against us and oppose us, we know that God is our present help. We will not be distracted by the numbers or, or power that they might have. For we come to God and we look at everything through the lens of his greatness, of his glory, and of his goodness. So let me recap. The reason we're confident is because God is good, because God is great, because God is glorious. And the way we live out that confidence is through prayer, through coming to God. And it's through knowing his word and through obeying it, through gathering with his church, experiencing the very grace of God by being with his people. Lord, God has saved us, that we would know him, that we would love him, that we'd be in a dependent relationship upon him. He wants to provide for everything that we need. And all throughout the book, 66 books, he's telling you, he's telling me, if you come to me, if you trust me, I will give you grace in every situation. You are not alone. I will never, ever, ever forsake you. And the proof above anything else is the cross that stands in the middle of all history. As God's declaration, I know you, and I love you, and if you come to me, I will give you grace. Let us know this, God. Let us be confident in whatever situation we're in. Not because of our abilities. Not because of our powers. Not because of the possessions that we have. But because of our God. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you, and God, you are good, and you are great, and you are glorious. Oh God, you are the one who saves. You are the rock of our salvation. And because, because of the grace that you give us, because of your strength, because of your might and power, we have no need to fear the things in this life, not even death itself. God, I pray that I would know that more. I pray that our people would know that more. I pray that Timberline, we would know your goodness and your grace and your glory so much that every day we just want to bask in your presence. Every time we're able to, we want to gather with the church so we just experience your grace among your people. God, help us to come to you in prayer. Not so that we earn your grace, but because you are great and you promise us your grace. Let us come to you depending upon you. Let us read your word as a means of growing in our knowledge of you. That we would obey your word. That we would be strong and courageous. When everything looks against us, we come to your word and we would know your greatness and your goodness and your glory. God, I thank you for your spirit that dwells in us that strengthens us so we can obey you. And Father, we praise you for the cross. We praise you for the cross, the fact that your son has died for us, the fact that you have overcome sin, death, and Satan, and that now your son Jesus stands at the right hand of you by your throne, giving grace to all who come to you. Oh, Father, may our minds and our hearts be be filled with the knowledge of your greatness. 
May we be overwhelmed with your goodness. May we be satisfied with your glory. And may we depend upon you every single day. In your name, Jesus, amen.